You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show, produced at my home on unceded Wurundjeri lands. I pay my respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present and welcome all First Nations people listening today. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. The Radioactive Show is distributed across these stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. My name is AC. On today's show, I'm sharing the fifth session of ICANN's Band School. This session is called Road to a Nuclear Free Future and includes speakers taking action to create a world free from nuclear weapons. We start with Joey Tao from Young Solowara and the Pacific Network on Globalisation. Joey talks about the ongoing impact of nuclear weapons in the Pacific and how we can work together in solidarity. Bulavinaka, warm Pacific greetings to everyone. Just want to thank uh, German ICANN Australia for this opportunity to present um, on the Pacific solidarity um, at this school band. Band school, sorry. Um, just very quickly, if you could all see my screen. Can you see my screen? Yes. Yes, can see it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll quickly go through um, the legacy of nuclear testing in the Pacific, uh, but also just speak to the current trends and movements of solidarity that are happening um, amongst young people and young people's movements. So very quickly, with given the time, um, just wanted to brush on very quickly. I'm sure most of you are, uh, are very aware of the nuclear testing legacy in the Pacific. But just like what we have presented with Australia and its current proposal of uh, its submarines, um, powered submarines rather, for uh, security and ge- uh, geopolitic- geopolitical reasons, just like nuclear testing in the Pacific, it was proposed as the common good for all mankind. And using those such narratives that um, testings were done within the region. Um, in between 1946 and 1958, it was proposed as the Pacific Proving Ground, and that was mostly done uh, in the Marshall Islands by the US. Uh, in Britain also conducted nuclear testings in Montebello Island. Uh, in Australia, between 1952 to 1957. And under Operation Grapple, the British government conducted uh, atomic hydrogen bomb testing Kiritimati in Kiribati, which also involved naval officers from Fiji, uh, New Zealand, and Britain. Uh, very quickly, between 1966 and 1996, France conducted 193 uh, atmospheric underground tests in Mororua and Fangatafo, atolls in French Polynesia or Moha, uh, Mahuinui. Um, but while tests have ended in the Pacific, our Pacific people continue to live with the environmental impacts. Uh, the health of our Pacific people continue to suffer. 
uh, and there are ongoing movements for uh, rehabilitation. During these tests, uh, there were strong uh, movements in the Pacific, which triggered um, movements in, in rather here in Fiji and throughout the Pacific, including Australia and New, New Zealand. Uh, resistance groups intensified in the 1970s uh, from mostly churches, trade union, university students, the feminist groups, uh, cultural leaders who actively uh, opposed the testing within the Pacific and had mostly had demonstrations uh, at French embassies throughout uh, the Pacific or um, at, at French missions that uh, were throughout the Pacific. Uh, again, there were also the formation of groups such as ATOM, the Against Testing in Mororua, uh, the Fiji anti-nuclear group called FANG back in the days in the 70s, and of course the popular Nuclear Free and Independent Pacific where uh, some of the active groups that were calling for nuclear justice. Uh, NFIP movement was one that really pushed for um, also the anti-nuclear uh, movements in the Pacific, but also pushed for some of the uh, independence movements uh, back then in the Pacific, with regards to some of the territories such as um, Mahuinui and uh, New Caledonia Kanaki. But bring us fast forward now, uh, since tw the 20 2010, there's a new breed of uh, young Pacific people uh, rising up, continuing the legacy of uh, the NFIP movement, uh, and are calling for nuclear waste, not nuclear waste. A movement such as Young Solar Pacific, which one I am part of, I also see Tale, who is also here. Uh, Wayne, who is part of the Marshall Island Students Association, um, are continuing this nuclear uh, activism uh, in the region, and also in uh, reviving um, student activism at uh, universities. So one such as being the University of the South Pacific, where you have the Marshall Island students who are quite active um, in other parts of the region. Uh, very quickly, this are uh, just some, in, in picture, Young Soros calls for the TPNW lobbying with Pacific states, uh, trying to ensure that our Pacific Island countries sign up, uh, lobbying directly with our states, but also, um, responding to the current um, proposal by Japan to dispose um, nuclear waste into the Pacific Ocean. So these are just some of the issues that young Solara, these young people, Marshall Island Students Association in the Pacific um, have been standing up, but it's also just sharing some of what, um, carrying on the legacy of what the NFIP movement have left on and revolving student activism. At Sorry, you have one minute. Uh, just before I go, uh, this is why we, we, we continue the legacy. Uh, it's a reminder of young people, the next generation, our kids. This is a photo of Mai Mai, who is a Marshallese young girl. It is for their future and our unborn children's future that we continue uh, the legacy against uh, nuclear testing, nuclear injustice, calling for nuclear waste, not nuclear waste. Yanaka. That was Joey Tao from Young Solwara and the Pacific Network on Globalisation. Next in this band school session, we hear from Margaret Perrell from the Quit Nukes campaign. She talks about superannuation investment in nuclear weapons and how people are working to stop it. 
Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for your kind words. I have six minutes, so I will make six points. The first one is what is Quit Nukes? Quit Nukes is a campaign to stop super funds from investing in nuclear weapons. If you want to know more, go on our website, quitnukes.org. You will have the history, you will have our briefing paper, you will have the list of organizations that have joined our honor rolls. So I won't waste time with the facts, go to the website. The next five points relate to why should super funds stop investing in nuclear weapons companies? So we want them to stop, so why? What I've done is look at this from various perspective, and there's five perspective. ICANN's perspective, society, um, environment, the members, and the superannuation funds themselves. Okay, so it's very simple for you to remember this, just five points. From ICANN's perspective, the idea is that this will contribute to the denormalization process. We want, quit, we want nuclear weapons to disappear everywhere, so we want to, them to disappear from the finance sector as well. And that eventually that denormalizes uh, nuclear weapons. From the society's perspective, the use of nuclear weapons breach every humanitarian principle that currently exists. And they are controversial weapons. And from environmental perspective, nuclear weapons pollute the environment. They have an impact on climate. And I'm sure you're aware of all of this. From the members' perspective, I'm already on point number five, so I'm going really quickly here. From the members' perspective, Quit Nukes has carried out a survey and we know that most Australians do not want their money going into superannuation funds. So the members don't want their money going there. So that is a bloody good reason why it shouldn't be there. Excuse my language. And the last one is the big one, is from the superannuation, fund, superannuation perspective. Now, we know that superannuation funds or their trustees have a duty to act in the best financial interest of their members. Best financial interest comes with proper risk management. In short, superannuation funds aim to have lower risks in their portfolio and generate higher returns. So we argue that nuclear weapons investments in a portfolio actually increases the risk of the portfolio. And we have identified at least 10 risks that is being carried by superannuation funds. I'll just go through them very quickly. The first one is a reputational risk. I mean, members don't want their money going in, super, in nuclear weapons. So if a fund is putting money in, super, in nuclear weapons companies, well, that really is not very good for their reputation. We have been liaising with the Responsible Investment Association of Australia, and they have finally woken up to the fact that nuclear weapon is actually a controversial weapon, and they will change their definition from next year, and that's a really big win. So to date, 
super funds have not thought of nuclear weapons as the controversial weapons. And the main reason for that is that Australia hasn't, there hasn't been a treaty to ban nuclear weapons. We now have a treaty and over what, 55 countries are party to it. And we do expect Australia to be party to that treaty down the track. We have Labour who's already pledged to, to be part of that treaty. We have 38 local government um, councils who are trying to persuade the government to sign the treaty. And they are now going to start pressuring superannuation funds to um, divest of those weapons. And so in a way, it's really good that we might have sort of local councils really putting pressure on the super funds. And of course, the treaty is now in force. Um, and the other thing is that we expect more regulation, as ICANN knows very well. This is not the only treaty that it will be in place. There'll be further treaties and further regulations down the track. So in short, I've, I've cut this really brief. There are a number of reasons where it's pointing to the direction where nuclear weapons will almost become obsolete assets in That's super funds. Yeah, just like coal or fossil fuels or tobacco. And gradually, a lot of super funds have already divested of those other sort of nasties. So we expect gradually that to happen. And if superannuation expect that, they're better off to be doing it now rather than later. That was Margaret Perrell from the Quit Nukes campaign. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, and a broadcast across the stolen continent on the Community Radio Network. Next up, we hear from Daryl LeCornu, lecturer, curriculum consultant, and textbook writer, who spoke about the role of education in creating a future free of nuclear weapons. Right, so we're talking about education here, and... Uh... ICANN does a fantastic job of education. I mean, that's that's the reason that ICANN's achieved what they have. Uh, but what we're talking about here is a broader education that, uh, that should be happening regardless of, of what ICANN is doing. There's just simply a lack of knowledge about, uh, lack of general knowledge about the Cold War nuclear weapons or any of the history, uh, except from perhaps this group of people. Most of you are going to have a fairly good general knowledge of all this, but the general population doesn't. And the young teachers that I work with in schools and, and uh, teaching at university, they don't have much, much knowledge of this, so they've got to learn it from scratch. Uh, one good place to start when looking at education is just looking at what the UN says. And this really good 100-page uh, booklet by Peaceboat on their education approach to education is great for outlining the UN uh, uh, approach to disarmament education. And also looking at the treaty document itself, education is very much a part of that, recognising the importance of peace and disarmament education, sort of a broader education, raising awareness of risks and consequences of nuclear weapons, and also teaching about the treaty itself. So that's in the treaty. The treaty says we should be spending, uh, some of our focus should be on education. Now, most students know about climate change. They've either, either learned it at school through their 
science teachers or geography teachers, probably not the history teachers, unfortunately. Um, and the, and they, they know it. And it's also in the community. There's much more community awareness about climate change. But that doesn't exist with nuclear weapons. There's just an absence of knowledge and general knowledge about that. So how can we support ICANN by, by pushing this, pushing for more education in this area? I think the first thing is to realise the different aspects of education uh, outlined there. There are the different aspects in the school system and on the right-hand side of the university system. There's lots of different aspects of it. One example is curriculum, syllabus is in schools, teach units. They're already there. They're happening. For this particular one in New South Wales, probably 2,000 students are doing this right now, going to do their HSC exam in this 30-hour course. Uh, there's great websites. Uh, one that's going to be launched in a few weeks' time from the UK. It's got all this stuff on nuclear testing. It's for 9- to 16-year-olds, so it's a great resource. C&D education in the UK is also really good. Of course, we had the student uh, organisation mentioned here. Well, where are the others? You know, uh, do we know about others that we can link to? Talks to students are great opportunities. Using the medal has been good uh, to, to get into schools and universities. Pre-service teachers, it's important to teach them about this. So they go into schools and they teach about it. And there's actual courses at university where they have a, a nuclear weapons component. And lastly, social justice groups, students in school keen to do things like uh, on human rights or nuclear weapons or other things. Now, the question is, and this is where we finish, how can we promote nuclear knowledge and knowledge about the, the treaty in education in this more general way? So how can we share ideas, resources, etc., experience? How can we support each other? So how can we link with a student... Um, associations in, in Fiji and the Marshall Islands? How can we link them with ones at Macquarie University or Western Sydney University? How can we support, support each other? If someone's got a great resource or great idea, support other groups with that. Link classrooms across the Pacific and Australia. And lastly, how can we network? So all of those people who are interested in education, whether you're a parent, teacher, student, university, whatever, how can we network together, share ideas and support each other? That was Daryl LeCornu speaking about peace education in schools and universities. Lastly, we hear from Jim Rommeld, ICANN Australia Director, with an update on the campaign to get the Australian Government to sign on to the UN Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty. Um, so the treaty was negotiated, opened for signature in 2017, it puts nuclear weapons on the same legal footing as chemical and biological weapons, landmines and cluster munitions, all of which have been banned. It's a categorical, categorical rejection of all things nuclear weapons, including possession, hosting, development, use and threat of use. Certainly if these submarines were to be nuclear capable, that would not be permitted. Um, it's also illegal to assist or encourage a nation to engage in any of the prohibited activities. So we know the treaty won't eliminate nuclear weapons in one 
fell swoop or in the short term even, but it will provide, you know, it provides a tool to further stigmatise and increase global pressure on the nuclear armed and all of their accomplices like Australia. So it has already shifted the goalposts and the nuclear armed states are more on the defensive and they're trying to shut the treaty down, which tells us that we're on the right track. And we also know that a prohibition is a vital step on the path to elimination. Uh, some special parts of the treaty, it acknowledges the disproportionate impact of nuclear weapons activities on Indigenous people worldwide, acknowledges the disproportionate impact of radiation on women and girls. Um, currently, there are 86 signatories in 55 states parties, and that, uh, that number will increase month by month. The first meeting of states parties to the treaty will be in March next year, and one of our demands is that Australia uh, will besides signing and ratifying the treaty, engages with it and, and goes to that uh, first meeting of states parties. It will be at the UN in Vienna. So, you know, Australia's position is atrocious here. Here we are in 2021 with a government that is welding itself to weapons of mass destruction. We boycotted the negotiations. We support this policy of nuclear deterrence, oppose the treaty. Most of the banned treaty is consistent with treaties that we have already joined. Um, there are a couple of things that have to change, a couple of things that, um, that can change. Uh, and it's also consistent with the fact that we've joined all the other treaties that prohibit inhumane weapons. So to join the treaty and be in compliance with it, we need to stop saying that we're protected by nuclear weapons because that's, you know, that's legitimising them and that's illegal under the treaty. We're not served by this kind of policy and we should discontinue lending validation to this dangerous concept of, of nuclear deterrence. So we can have a military alliance with the US. Um, the treaty was drafted to permit this as long as we are not cooperating on the use or threat of use of nuclear weapons or assisting the US to engage in any of the activities prohibited under the treaty. We have signed other treaties when the US hasn't and when they've been very much push, uh, pushing Australia not to, and we will have to do the same again. Sometimes you have to disagree with your ally um, friends don't let friends have weapons of mass destruction. Well, they shouldn't anyway. So just a quick, you know, support status update. We do have hundreds of parliamentarians at the state, territory and federal level who have uh, signed on the dotted line, signed the pledge saying that they support the treaty and they'll work for Australia to, to ratify it. That includes 89 in the federal parliament and that's all of the Greens, three quarters of Labor, the Centre Alliance, uh, several independents, and a few coalition members as well. Not many. There is, I think, as Margie was mentioning, the Parliamentary Friends of the Treaty uh, cross-party group. There are 23 members of that. And, of course, we have the Labor commitment to sign and ratify in government, and they've held that policy since 2018. So a really important part of our work is to hold the line on that and ensure that there's policy follow-through um, you know, if and when they do form government, but also to grow the level of support and pressure on the coalition in the meantime and to get them to do it. You know, they should do it. So who else is behind the band? Well, all of you um, and all of you probably fit into some of these groups as well. Um, so 79% of the public polling shows that this is not controversial. Uh, this is something that uh, we want the, the government to sign up to. As Margaret Perrell mentioned, councils are 38 currently. 
the Australian Local Government Association passed a motion at their conference in the middle of the year calling on Australia to join the treaty. So that, that's the body that represents all 537 councils, the Red Cross, medical organisations, faith-based organisations, unions, our partner organisations. That was Jim Rommeld, ICANN Australia Director, with an update on their campaign. That's it for today, and this was the last session for Band School. Thanks to Joey Toe, Margaret Perrell, Daryl LeCornu, and Jim Rommeld, as well as the session host, Margie Beavis. If you want to catch up on all of the Band School sessions from ICANN, go to icanw.org.au forward slash bandschool. You have been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR at my home in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. If you want to get in touch with us, please give us an email at radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.